We're going to Exodus chapter 2, and we are going to begin to minister to you on two parts, this morning and tonight. And I want you to think of something that's very important. Not all Christianity is equal. Not all Christians are at the same level. Not all Christians walk in the same blessings. Not all Christians are even blessed. Many, many Christians are unhappy, miserable, frustrated, and full of sorrow and grief. Many Christians are defeated by their flesh. They are addicted and in bondage to many different substances, such as cocaine, such as heroin, such as weed, and such as pornography. The body of Christ is filled with flawed people with many weaknesses, and if we do not present to them a solution, they are going to get discouraged after a certain amount of time, and they will walk away from God, just as many of your friends have done, and many of the people that are now walking with God may not be experiencing what God promised, I came to give you joy and that more abundantly. If you are a Christian that is not seeing the promises of the Bible fulfilled in your life, and if you are not tangibly aware of the supernatural presence of God in your life, if you are a Christian that has a lot of negativity in your life and a lot of bad things going on in your marriage or bad things going on financially or bad things going on physically, then you want to listen to what I have to share with you this morning and tonight in two parts. Because real Christianity is not the same as religious Christianity. Religious Christianity is believing in God, believing in the Bible, believing in what God said, but not experiencing any of it. That is religious Christianity. It is intellectually based. It is based on intellectual information without the transforming living power of miracles, signs and wonders, and the help of the Holy Spirit in your daily life. You do not want to have religious Christianity. You do not want to be an intellectual Christian. Knowing what I'm saying is not the same as having it. You can know anything. It doesn't mean you have it. So if you do not have love, joy, and peace, you have intellectual Christianity. If you do not have faith, holiness, and power, you do not have the real Christianity. If you do not have health, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, if you do not have spiritual power, if you do not have the graces of God flowing through your life, you may only have religious, intellectual Christianity that is based on being a good person, that has arrived at a level of Christianity, meaning that you're not killing people, you're not going to go to jail, you are not telling lies, you are tithing, you are going to church. But really, there is nothing in your life that you can point to that is called supernatural fruit. Amen. Because the only 
reliable judge is fruit. Everything else is just empty words. And we do not want a Christianity that is just empty words. We want to have the manifest presence of God with us, helping us be Christians, and helping us flow in the miraculous powers of Almighty God. Here's what's going to happen. In the next 40 years, most intellectual churches are religious churches void of the power of God. They only have a form of it will cease to exist because the world is getting darker every day. Satan is becoming more powerful in the world every day. And the flesh has more authority than it ever has in the humanity of planet Earth. Because of the lack of holiness and morality and the absence of standards and holiness, the world, the Bible says, will dive and sink into a river. The Bible says in the last days that there shall be deep darkness on the earth and gross darkness on the people. As it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the last days. What does this mean? What this means to you is that if you think it's bad right now, if you think that it's bad right now, it is going to get so bad that it will be like in the days of Noah. Listen to my words. Because the momentum of the world is away from God and away from morality, the standards of right and wrong are being removed. The result of having no standards is that man goes to the end of that, and the end of that is as in the days of Noah, this is what it says. In the days of Noah, they did whatever evil entered their imagination. So all that the world is now calling freedom is actually leading to a judgment day. When society does not abide by the laws of morality or by any law, when society becomes lawless and the spirit that rules the earth is lawlessness, the end of that is death destruction, and poverty. Make no mistake, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, this is where we are headed. We are in it now. And all of us are saying, Jesus, come back. Everybody's saying that. Let's say it together right now. Look up, say, Jesus, come back now. But they were saying that 2,500 years ago when they were burning Christians at the stake. The Christians were saying, hey, Jesus, this would be a good time. When they were getting eaten by lions. Ooh, Jesus, that's a big lion coming at me. How about come back now? Right? 
What is the answer? What is the answer for you? What is your hope? How are you going to survive what's about to come? And how are your children and your grandchildren going to survive what is about to come on the earth that is right now already activated and the demons have already been left, let out of the cage? We find this in this word, encounters. Encounters with God. Ladies and gentlemen, if you do not have encounters with God, you are not going to be strong enough to endure what is coming your way. If you do not have specific encounters that the Bible mentions and talks about, you will not be the kind of person that can handle what is coming down the road. Today, some of you cannot handle what is going on today, much less what's going to happen five years from now. You can't handle today because you haven't had an encounter with God that gives you a peace of God that allows you to be victorious in the midst of whatever it is that is going on because you had an encounter with God where he put pieces of himself inside you for that particular problem. Everywhere in the Bible, people had to have encounters with God in order for anything to change. For example, I was 17 years old following a young girl from school, as any young American boy would do. When I approached her, she said, you have mental problems, you have emotional problems, and you're a moron. And I said, this is all true. I need somebody to help me. I believe you're the one that can help me. And she gave me a book. She said, read this book, and when you're done, I will talk with you. She gave me a beat-up, torn-up book. I didn't know what it was. Writing was in it. Pages were ripped. My mother began telling me at six or seven years old, never read the Bible. She said, if you read the Bible, you will go crazy. You will play a guitar, have long hair, wear blue jeans with holes, and walk around town barefooted and talk to the little green people. And any time we pass somebody talking to somebody, she said, they read the Bible. So she created this fear in me of the Bible. And she truly thought she was protecting me. She had a little Bible, pearl cover, with a lock. And I would get so angry at her on Sunday morning when we went to Mass because she would hold that thing and I would say, why do you have that book? Why did you bring that book? It's going to drive us all crazy. What if it pops open? <laughs> this is how convinced I was that if you read the Bible, you will go crazy. Had I known the book that this girl gave me was the Bible, I would have never read it. So I got the book, sat under a tree, and it opened up. It said 1 Corinthians. I had no idea what that was. By verse 5, I was weeping so hard that I cried for over three hours, and it lasted for over three weeks. And I got saved without knowing I had gotten saved. 
I started reading that book from cover to cover every free second. I'm in chemistry class and it's sitting on my desk and the chemistry teacher walks by and sees it and does a double take. He says, what are you doing reading that book? I said, oh man, this is an awesome book. Some girl gave it to me. It's a fantastic book. It's going to change my life. Do you know what that book is? I said, no, I, she's the Bible. And I went, ah! But I had an encounter with God, and it changed who I was. You're never going to be the husband you need to be unless you have an encounter with God. You're never going to be the wife you're supposed to be unless you have an encounter with You're never going to be the man of God you're supposed to be unless you have encounters with God. You're never going to be who God created you to be unless you have encounters with God. You can't just live a normal life and become this destiny person with amazing powers and superpowers and super ability. You just can't do it. You're going to have to have, your children will not be able to do it. If you're just a religious person who doesn't even bring their Bible to church and never even reads it and no miracles ever happen in your life and nothing is driving you to become something radically unusual and amazing then you will simply die in the dust of religion. Because you think oh I'm okay I love Jesus I love God that's not the question. The question is, are you becoming something that only God can be blamed for? Amen. Are you just like millions of other people just going to church and then cussing people out on the highway, throwing the finger at people and telling your wife to go to hell? That was in context, so that's not cussing. This is a context statement. Look at two people and say, man, I believe he's talking to you. I, I just feel like <laughs> it's for you. Think of what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen. Encounters. We're going to look at five this morning and five tonight. These are what I consider the 10 most critical encounters that every man of God or woman of God has to have to become what God wants them to be and to not miss God's plan for their life. And where is your Bible? Because if you don't have one in the form of a phone or anything else, how can you write down what God tells you? Because this is already telling you that you are a religious person. Because you don't take serious what God has to tell you. If you did, you would write it down and memorize it since you would believe that God has something to tell you that you actually need to learn. And if you need to learn it, you need to memorize it instead of getting offended at people like me who kindly tell you the truth. Or either you already know all the Bible, like you know everything. So you don't need anything. You, you know all information. You are the walking Bible of the world. Holla, holla. Give somebody a high five and say, I love the color of your hair. 
kind of a yellow-blue mixed with some green. So encounters, let's talk about them. I had one at 17, and at that point, underneath that tree, my entire life changed. I went home and I told my mother what had happened, and she said, you read the Bible. You are now going to lose your mind. Well, guess what I did right after that? I started growing my hair long. I had holes in my blue jeans. I got a guitar. You can imagine the terror of my mother. What are you doing? You're growing your hair long. What's that? Why are you, what did the blue jeans have holes? I told you, you got a guitar! Now, I'm not saying that everybody thinks that. I'm just saying that was just me and my mother. Not everybody's like that, and certainly no, none of the people who went to church with were like that. <laughs> just my mom. She's just a little superstitious. And wherever or however you're raised, wherever you are today, you're not going to be in church very long if your church is the most fun thing that happens. Christianity is not the most exciting thing you have. If that's not true, for some of you, it just won't last because you're too pleasure-driven. So you're going to go to whatever brings you pleasure in the quickest amount of time. Hallelujah. So let's go down the list of the five encounters this morning. The first one is found in Exodus 2, verses 22 and 23. The children of Israel had been in slavery for 430 years. They were in bondage. It says they had bitterness, sorrow, grief. It said that they had taskmasters. And the taskmasters would whip them and torture them. And they didn't get paid for 430 years. They had no salaries. They had no voice. They were slaves. Their owners could do anything they wanted to them with no legal repercussions because they were not considered to be human beings. As you know, this is what people do to people all over the earth. Today, this is happening all over the world. The children of Israel, it says, began to cry about it, sigh about it, and groan because of it. Their pain from their bondage was so deep that all they could do is groan and cry and sigh. It says God heard their groaning and came down and delivered them from their oppressors. Praise God. So this is what I call a freedom encounter. If you do not have a freedom encounter at some point of your life, you're going to be a slave Christian. A slave Christian is a Christian who tries to be a Christian while still wearing their chains. Therefore, you think from your chains, you feel from your chains, you love from your chains, you make decisions based on your chains, and everything about your Christianity is a contradiction to the Word of God. 
You cannot afford to stay in slavery or bondage to anything of your flesh, of this world, of Satan, or of any other form of imprisonment or jail. At some point, you must become a free human being in all areas of your life. You may say, well, I am free. No, 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 no. You have just created a comfort zone that you live within. If you'll study it, you'll realize that your comfort zone is you being able to do what you want every day that doesn't intimidate you. For example, you're a Christian, but do you win souls? Do you talk to strangers about Jesus? How long have you been a Christian? 20 years, 30 years? How many people have you led to Jesus since you've been saved? And do you really believe that in 30 years of being a Christian, God never wants you to become a fisher of lost men going to hell? Do you really believe it's in the will and plan of God for you to live 30 years without ever helping someone out of the fires of damnation and hell? Of course you don't. But because you have a spirit inside you that may be cowardly and you may be afraid, you don't advance into that realm and attack that fear and then conquer that territory and make it your own where you are free from the chain of intimidation and fear because obviously love compels compassion. And if you don't love a person, you don't rescue a person. You let them drown right in front of your eyes. And that, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, is not Christianity. That is religion. Religion will let people die right in front of you. Jesus will not. But if you don't have an encounter, nothing's going to change because you're comfortable. I don't have much respect for Christians who do not get people saved. It's hard for me to respect that. I consider it one of the greatest acts of cruelty there is. I just don't know anything that could be crueler than to have a chance to get someone out of hell and not care, especially if it's your own dad or your own mother or your own children. Without an encounter, nothing's going to change. You need a freedom encounter. How do you get one? It's listed right there, crying out, Groaning and sighing, or in other words, you have to reach the place where enough is enough. Can everybody say hallelujah? hallelujah? See, until you get to that place where enough is enough, nothing's changing. you got to ask God to give you that kind of hunger and desperation and say, God, uh, uh, you know, how can I stop watching pornography unless, un unless I get to the point where I can't take it anymore? where my desire for you is so much bigger, nothing's going to change. And remember, we're going into darker times in the world. The church will get brighter, 
more powerful, and all the false churches that only have philosophy as their creed, they're philosophy churches, they're not based on the Word of God, they're philosophy churches, they will fall off and get consumed into the world. But the real church, she will shine because the glory of the Lord shall be upon her. Only encounters can change. Take the chains off you and give you the freedom you crave. Hallelujah. Turn to somebody and say, set me free, Jesus. Come on, everybody, take a praise break and just shout a little bit unto the Lord. Come on, clap your hands and praise God a little bit and say, I don't want any chains. Say it out loud. I don't want any chains on me. You don't want a reefer chain. You don't want a reefer chain. You don't want a cocaine chain. You don't want a, a heroin chain. You don't want a, a fornication chain. You don't want an adultery chain. You don't want a liquor chain. You don't want anything that it becomes and takes the place of God. Amen. You want to be free from your temper, free from having your feelings hurt, free from getting offended, free from feeling sorry for yourself, free from apple pie if you're a diabetic. Now, if you don't have any problems with anything, eat everything. But if, if food's going to kill you, you better learn. Give somebody a hug and say, ooh, cha-cha-cha, ha-ha-ha, rooba-dooba-dooba. Let's go to number two encounter. Very important. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now, the key that unlocks all of the encounters, there are two. I'll give you one this morning and one tonight. There are two keys. The first key that unlocks all encounters for you is to have a Savior and to have a Lord. Some of you and some people only have a Savior. They do not have a Lord. If you have a Savior, your Savior saves you so that when you die, you go to heaven. But if he's not your Lord, you do whatever you want whenever you want because he's just your Savior. He's not your Lord. And if you're going to unlock encounters with God, you can't do it by just having a Savior. You've got to have a Lord. Your Savior saves you. Your Lord protects you. So what is the difference? And how do you know if you do? I'll explain it to you. If you have a Savior, you are constantly renewing your ticket to heaven. You're making sure it's all still valid. Okay, I went to church, got saved again, went to church, got saved again, went to church, got saved again, doing anything I want the rest of the time, but I got a Savior. All right? You got that? How do you have a Lord? How do you know you have a Lord? There's two simple ways. Number one, if you have a Lord, you no longer have a free will. Excuse me? I'll say it again. If you have a Lord, you don't have a free will. You don't do what you want. 
You don't do whatever you want. You don't say whatever you want. You don't act in any way you want. You ask permission because you have a Lord. You say, Lord, may I knock this person out? No. Okay. Not my will, but yours be done. Lord, can I eat the entire apple pie? No. Yes, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Dear Jesus, can I eat this, uh, uh, this, the, the cinnamon roll at Cinnabon. No. Okay. Not my will. But you don't have a free will. That's how you know you have a Lord. And the second way, because you really don't need more than these two reasons, the second way is you're no longer entitled to have an opinion. about anything. Excuse me? That's right. I didn't, I didn't stutter. If you want to have a Lord, you don't get to have an opinion about anything. You get to ask God what his opinion is, and then you get to adopt his opinion. This is why the church will not be in unity for a long time, because they don't have a Lord, they just want the benefits of salvation. But they do not and cannot get the blessings manifested of salvation without a Lord. You have every blessing the moment you get saved. It is given to you by an inheritance, and the Bible says that like this. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus the moment you get saved. Otherwise, ladies and gentlemen, you and I could never even talk to God because we still have bad habits and are acting bad and all kinds of stuff. We can't even approach God. But because we have this gift imputed to us of righteousness freely given to you before you do anything, you're able to go in there and fellowship with God all day long and talk to him while you're still lying. It's called the grace of God. However, you still sow, reap what you sow. So to get things out of your position into your possession, you have to get a master and do what he tells you. Hala hala. No, you can't have an opinion. You have to ask God, is this your opinion, Lord, about this? Oh, it is? Okay, I get to have this opinion. Is this your opinion? No, that's not my opinion. Oh, okay, praise the Lord. For example, if I say to half of the Christians on planet Earth that killing children is not okay with God, well, immediately you separate 50% of all the Christians who call Jesus their Savior. You separate them from you as friends because their opinion is more important than their fellowship. But if they read the Bible, well, the opinion of God is written in the Bible. Clearly, there's no mystery. Amen. But because you choose to have a Savior and not a Lord, you can keep your opinion. But you can't have the things that come through obedience. Hala hala. Raise your hands and say, I knew he was going to tell you something. Praise God. Give him a high five and say, Jesus, help me out. It is not my job to get you to like me. 
It is my job to be likable while I tell you things you don't like. <laughs> and it is also my job to present you with an option to have an encounter with God. Then I have done my job. Amen. Not to tell you things that have no impact on you whatsoever or challenge any of the forms of Christianity you may be practicing that are simply going to make you poor and weak. Hallelujah. We have our second encounter, very powerful, found in Genesis 32, verses 24 through 26. This is Jacob who fights or wrestles with an angel. The name tells the story, Jacob. Everybody say it. The name Jacob means liar and deceiver. That's who he was. He stole his brother's birthright by deceiving his father. Are you with me? So his reputation, Jacob is a liar and a deceiver. That's how everybody in the whole world knew him. Liar and deceiver. Liar and deceiver. One day he's fed up with that reputation and he says, I don't want to be a liar and a deceiver. And an angel appears. An angel appears. And, and he grabs the angel, and they're wrestling. And the angel says, you got to let me go. The sun is coming up. He says, no, I will not let you go until you bless me. This is an identity encounter. And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you can never be who God wants you to be until you believe who God believes you are. You have got to get your identity from God and not from your past and not from your parents and not from your failures. You've got to get your identity from an encounter with God where he shows you that you are no longer that rotten, alcoholic, lying, deceiving, backstabbing human being. But that instead of being a Jacob, a liar and deceiver, you now become an Israel, a prince with God. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? What do you mean, Ivan? Who are you as a human being in the eyes of God? What is your title in heaven? What were you created to be, an apostle? Were you created to be an evangelist? Were you created to be a writer, an author, a soul winner? What are you, what, 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 who are you? What, what, what's, your real, what's your real name in heaven? Because it's not Susie, Larry, Mary, Harry, Terry, Jerry. It's not any of that. No, you've got a title in heaven, a name God gave you. And when you get there and you realize you did not meet that name because you did not have a master or a Lord, you lived any way you wanted, all you wanted was out of hell and into heaven, you'll realize, wow, I could have had a whole different kind of life if I just had known who I am. But you have to have an encounter for that. And what's the secret? you got to hold on to the blesser and not let him go until he changes your name. Because you have a reputation with your family. Now, some of you may not like what I'm preaching, but remember, it's not my job to get you to like what I'm preaching. It's my job to get you to believe it. Hallelujah. 
Well, what do your children think about you? What's your reputation? What do other Christians that know you think about you? What does your wife think about you? Ooh, that's a good one. The day you hear your wife say you're the best husband there is, is a day to celebrate and break your fast, your diet, and everything else. But if your wife says to you, you are a liar, you do not love me, you do not care about me, you are lazy, you are this, you are that, that is a bad reputation. And unless you have an encounter with God, your DNA that you serve will always dominate you. And your reputation will never change until God gives you a new name. Every church has a name. Every marriage has a name. Every business has a name. Do you know that I am here not only because I love Pastor Albert, and Pastor Scott and Melissa and Dale and Laura and others of you that I may know, but because I humbly am a gift to help you get to the next place. Amen. I say that with fear and trembling, but I ought to know what I am or do something else. Hallelujah. I'm not giving you ashes, ladies and gentlemen, right now. I am feeding you something that if you will eat it, will bring you out of the darkness of meaningless, ineffective living having the title of a Christian, but the lifestyle of lost people. Or just being a nice Christian. Satan doesn't care if you're a nice Christian. Be nice. Just don't mess with his stuff. Don't become dangerous. Don't become a lethal weapon. Don't like drive demons out of families. Don't bring unity to marriages. Don't heal broken-hearted children. No, 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 no. Don't have revival. And for whatever you do, don't win any lost people to Jesus. No! Don't do that. Mind your own business. Live your own life. He doesn't care. Oh, but once you start becoming effective, once you start becoming a threat, Right? So here we are. The question is, will you have an encounter with God? Or will you not? Hold on to the blesser. And don't turn loose until he changes your name. Would you say that to everybody? Say, don't let go until he changes your name. Tell it to everybody. Don't you want Generations Church to have such a powerful name that as soon as people approach the property, they begin to feel the tangible presence of God? Amen. What would be so bad if people came in here lost and left saved? What would be so bad if they came in sick and left healed? 
What would be so bad if revival broke out at Generations Church and it was a divine move of God because people are finally becoming and being and living who they truly are, that they were created by God, not living in some box of comfort waiting for the sermon to be over so they can go watch sports on the TV and eat. And their Christianity has been sold for little legal comforts. I'm sorry, but that's not God's plan. You don't get to retire from Christianity when you're 65. Retire from your job, please. But start living after that. Fulfill God's call on your life before you die. Even if it's just one or two years that you were enlightened and you said, wow, okay, that's it, God. And you start having some encounters with God in prayer and fasting. Three, are you here? We read this in Acts 9, 1 through 7. Paul is killing Christians. Everybody say, oh my gosh. Paul is killing people in the name of God, for God. He's doing it for God. These wicked people, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. He's on his horse, happily killing people, dragging them out of the houses, throwing them in the streets, and he's riding his horse, and a flash of light hits him, knocks him off the horse, and a voice comes out of heaven saying, hey, Paul, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. Stop it. Praise the Lord. This is a purpose encounter. You've got to have one. You've got to know what your purpose for living on planet Earth is. Why did God make you? What is the purpose for you being on planet Earth? My purpose was given to me at 18 years old. Rescue orphans. Rescue widows. Take care of the poor. Build a local church and win souls. Those are the five pieces of my purpose for being on this Earth and encompassed in that, of course, is my family. But all of the basic purposes are there for me at 18, and that's what I've done, that's what my family does, and that's what my grandchildren are doing. Because it's generational purpose. It's not just one thing. If you do not do God's purpose, your grandchildren will look and find nothing to follow because you have not embraced your true divine purpose. They will look for it, and when they do not find it in you, they are going to look out there, and trust me, the devil will give them a purpose that will destroy them. You as a father, you as a mother, you as a grandfather, and you as a grandmother, you have a responsibility to know God's purpose for your life and to live it so that when your children look at you, they do not stare in unbelief and fear and say, oh my gosh, is that all I have to look forward to? And stop getting offended when people tell you the truth. Stop being a baby. 
and throwing your little fits. Amen. Oh, I didn't like the way he talked. Stop it. Grow up. You've been a baby your whole life. It's time to grow up. Take responsibility and say, I know that my purpose is not to get high. My purpose is not to sit and watch TV till I die. There's other things that God has called me to do. And he had to follow the light. And that is how you find your purpose. You follow the light that God gives you every time someone tells you something that you know is coming from God. You write it down and you memorize it and you write it on the wall of your house and you put it up there and you say, this is what God told me this week. And all the things God tells you put together define your purpose. Because a man or a woman without purpose will fall back into his flesh. Number four. Look at two people around you and say, holla, holla. It's only 1135. Everybody wave your hands and say, I love it when Brother Ivan preaches for a long time. <laughs> wave your hands. I don't want him to ever stop. Come on, everybody. Keep it up, Brother Ivan. I love the way you preach. I love how long you take with all the points and everything. Oh, I, nobody's going to help me. Hey, Señor, gloria tu nombre, hallelujah. Ayúdame, Señor, con todas las cosas que tengo que presentar a la gente. No, not that either. Not that one either. Okay. John chapter 4, 13 through 26. The woman at the well. Hallelujah. Remember that you're not going to like a person who challenges the false happinesses in your life. It's going to be hard for you to enjoy that person if they say don't smoke reefers and one of the few pleasures you have in life is a good old reefer. You're not going to like that because you are defending your death instead of defending your destiny. Are you with me? Amen. Everything okay? Go ahead and turn to somebody. Say, could I have $100? Go ahead and ask them. $100? $100? Go ahead and if, the, if that one doesn't answer, turn to the other one. Just wait till you hit, get a hit. Go ahead. $100. $100. Go $100. Go ahead and grab somebody's hand and say, in the name of Jesus. Pay off my house. Let's say it together. Pay off my house. Come on, keep going. Let's not quit. Pay off my car. Keep going. One final one. Come on, come on. Pay off my children. They're really expensive. They cost a lot of money. Should a parent be paying their children off? 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. Unfortunately for us grandparents, we have no choice. 
We're not going to let our little grandchildren starve to death because of a dumb parent. We're going to pay everything we can. Do you think God will let the righteous be forsaken? Or his seed beg bread? Hallelujah. Turn to somebody right now and wave your hand and say, It's a beautiful morning. It's wonderful. Come on, sing it with me. Oh, hallelujah. I love when Brother Ivan does this kind of stuff. John 4, 13 through 26, the woman at the well. Jesus approaches the lady. She's getting water. She's by herself. And he, Jesus says, he says to, uh, to the lady, hey, go get your husband. She says, I have no husband. He says, you've said the, right, the truth. You've had five husbands. And the one you have now, you're not married to. What does all this mean? Well, this is what I call a happiness encounter. Because let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, any woman that will marry five losers and still try with a sixth is searching for something. And the reason people try pot and heroin and cocaine and adultery and fornication and pornography and anything else they can get their hands on is because they are searching for something. And at some point of your life, brothers and sisters, you are going to have to find the true source of happiness. Because until you do, until Jesus is enough, you're going to need some chemical help. You're going to need some food help. You're going to need some sexual stimulation help. You're going to need some kinky, illegal, wild stuff to help you through your life. Because the truth is, if you don't have an encounter where Jesus becomes your happiness, you will never be invincible. The only thing that gives you power over Satan and all of his temptations and all of the things of this world is for you to be totally happy with Jesus and he is enough. Not him and your husband. Not him and your wife. Not him and your children. Him. You cannot be the, the kind of husband you need to be to your wife if you need her to give you something. You cannot be a happy wife as long as you need something from your husband. The only way you can be the right kind of husband or wife is when you have what you need because Jesus is enough and you have leftovers to give her who doesn't have anything. That's called unconditional love. And you cannot give it if you do not have it.
Sure, it's easy to love some people. It's easy to love your children for a while. <laughs> if you raise them right, then always. And if they submit to that raising. It's surely easy to love your grandchildren because you get to pick when you're with them. And if you don't like them for a while, you just leave. Come back when they're happy. You're crying, I'm leaving. You're laughing, I'm back. You know, it's a whole different kind of bias. But to have what you need without anyone else on earth makes you invincible. Do you understand that at that point your husband can no longer control you emotionally? which makes you a really good wife who is not hurt by her husband. She sees him as a flawed human being that needs Jesus just like she does. And she's able to give him unconditional love. Hey, you treated me like a dog yesterday, but I love you. I forgive you because I got peace, joy, and love. I got it from Jesus. Or you say to your husband, either you do what I want or you're out of here, which is a nice little piece of witchcraft. And then you just practice witchcraft on each other. He doesn't do what you like, so you don't let him touch you. Little witchcraft. She doesn't do what you want, so you don't attempt to touch her. A little bit of witchcraft. Now your whole house is full of the devil because there's so much manipulation going on. And nobody's content. Happiness is an encounter. You meet Jesus and he becomes your all in all. Can everybody say hallelujah? hallelujah? Well, now you can't be offended because you don't require anybody's approval except God's. Always God's. You always say, God, is this okay with you? Am I doing okay? If not, I'll change. Because they don't seem to like it. I just want to make sure you're not like in unity with them. Freedom. The peace of God. Happiness. What happens when your husband passes away? Or your wife passes away? You still have to live. You have to have enough of Jesus in there to fulfill God's call. You still have to do it. You can't just wither and die, as most people do. Praise God. Would you give somebody a big hug? Just hug them. Say, I love you. I love you. Mm. See, the way I'm preaching, if you're connected to the world, you don't like what I'm saying because you're worldly. You want your worldliness and you have already made up your mind that religion is a certain way and I'm presenting you with a different option to tell you it's the devil deceiving you because he wants you in hell. He wants you to think that if you're just good that you'll go to heaven. And that's not how it works. You don't go to heaven because you're good. You go to heaven because you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Can everybody turn around and say, I'll take $50.
I got to get something out of this guy's preaching. What did she do to get happiness? What is the secret? You have to keep drinking from the right well. You have to quench your thirst with God's water. You are a thirsty human being and you cannot quench that thirst with anything other than the water from God's well. If you drink water that's from a stranger's well, it will quench your intellect but can never quench the inner man that God created. The black hole in your soul will just expand in size. Number five. Are you ready? This is our last one at 1146. Give someone a high five and say praise God. You are faced with a decision to come or not come to church tonight at at 6 o'clock. I don't know what to tell you. Do you want a better life or not? So, well, it's kind of my habit to stay home and watch some football games. I've been recording them all morning. I want to go watch it. I really enjoy it every Sunday. But how much have you changed by doing this for 20 years? Are you a better husband because you watch a football game and because you watch it over and over and over and you did the replays over and over and over and you screamed and you know, put on your shirt and put on your outfit and did the whole thing and screamed and you know, ate popcorn and ate all about that. Did that really help you? Or really, are you really more Christ-like? No, I'm not most Christ-like, but I like it. I enjoy it. Well, you can like a lot of things. Doesn't mean they're good for you. But maybe coming to church one time in the whole year on a Sunday night might be of tremendous benefit to your future. As tonight, I'm laying hands on everybody. I'm prophesying to most people. I'm flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And all kinds of amazing things are going to happen. Pastor Scott does not just bring me in for no reason. This is an appointed appointment with God for two services. I go to places where I do nine in a row, sometimes more. I did 130 meetings in a row last year. And they still wanted to keep going. Because everything kept building. I said, no, I'm leaving. <laughs> We've got two services to change your life. If you don't think you need your life changed, make the popcorn and get the lemonade and watch the football game. But if you're hungry for an encounter with God, you're going to have to come to church. And if you can't, Watch it on TV. It's on TV? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think I'll do that. No, no, no. I said, if you can't. <laughs> not an option. If you can't. Because you're not going to get from TV what you get in person. I'm not going to prophesy to you in your TV. I'm not going to look through the TV and say, Bob, Joe, you're in there. Not that Bob. <laughs> He's always at church. Give someone a high five and say one more encounter. Put on my music. One more encounter. This encounter is found in the book of John, chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. 
and it's the man at the pool of Bethesda. Not that one. What on the other one? Yeah. The man at the pool of Bethesda. This is a sick man. Everybody say it, a sick man. How many of you have ever been sick? Isn't sickness a terrible thing? I mean, I lost my daughter this last year, this year, 52 years old. I did not raise her. I had her in high school, and she was put up for adoption, and then she found me 22 years ago. And we've been very, very close for those 22 years. She got breast cancer, caught it late, got in her got in her bones and got in her liver. And she lasted about two years. And then about two months ago, she passed away. But she went straight to heaven. She went straight to heaven. I was like, thank you, Jesus, for the joy of knowing that she went to heaven. The next week, I lost my uh, brother-in-law who... I've known since I was born. He was 92. I spent at least two or three weeks with him every year, all my life. Then a month later, I lost my, my sister, 85 years old, her, his, her, uh, his wife, my sister, 85 years old. And Apart from some grief, because, you know, you feel grief, but it's not overwhelming. I felt joy. I felt joy knowing my sister went to heaven, knowing that her husband of 92 years, who had never been to church except three times in his life, and all three times was to listen to me preach, and told me before he died, I want what you said, and I want to go to heaven. I believe what you said, and I want that. Praise the Lord. Life happens to people. Sickness is everywhere. Disease is everywhere. I went to the Holy Land in April. I have an adopted daughter that is a professor at the University of Jerusalem. And she has a master's in the geography of Israel. So the first three days, day one we walked 12 miles, day two 11 miles, and day three 10 miles, all up and down in Jerusalem. I got plantar fasciitis and sciatica. I still have it to this moment. I'm working it through, but it's no fun. All of a sudden you turn, that didn't happen when I was young. My muscles, I wouldn't wake up with tight muscles or my back being a little sore since I travel every week for 40 years. Sick is not okay. Praise the Lord. Here's a sick man, John 5. He's at the pool of Bethesda. 38 years he's been sick. Jesus comes by and says, what do you want me to do? He doesn't answer him right away. Jesus asks him again, what do you want me to do? I want to walk. I want to be healed. I want to be whole. Then do what I tell you and rise up and walk. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is a healing, a health encounter. You at some point of your life have got to start being healthy. At some point of your life, you've got to stop eating food that is going to rot your teeth, rot your guts, and make your body parts fall off from diabetes or heart disease. At some point, you're going to start, have to start eating food that does not damage your body and not all bodies are created equal. Some of you have a great tendency towards diabetes and others of you can eat 10 pounds of chocolate and be as happy as you can be. All I can say is ask those people to lay hands on you and maybe you'll get the gift of eating a cow and losing three pounds like Dale Morris. <laughs> Look at him. It's ridiculous. <laughs> we eat the same amount of food. He probably eats more. Look at someone next to you and say, do you have the gift? Lay hands on me. Because I look at food and gain weight. <laughs> Disease must be overcome with an encounter with God. Because you have genetics that are working in your body. You have physical traits you have inherited from 500 years back, all mixed together from lots of crazy people. Hallelujah. So what is the solution? Say yes to the prescription that God gives you. Obey it like he told the man, rise up and walk. Had he not obeyed the prescription, he would not have gotten the healing. And health is the same way. You will be a lot healthier if you obey the prescription that God has personally given you. Do not vary from that prescription especially when you get old because you do not have the same mercy in your body as you did when you were 17, 20, or 30 and you could eat anything. The older you get, the more obedient you have to be. You have to have a health encounter where there are certain foods you can no longer put in your mouth because it is not properly managing the temple that you live in to fulfill the length of days that God has assigned to you. We have one of the sickest churches in the entire universe, worldwide. The church is sick. Everywhere I go, at least three-quarters of the people are sick. And the other quarter just got over something. Do you want to be healthy? Do you want to be able to say, I have, I'm on no medication? Is that impossible? Or is it God's will? It's impossible unless you have an encounter with God and then God touches you and then you can say, you know, God has healed these things in my life. I'm not telling you not to do something. I'm not telling you not to take something. That's between you and God. I'm simply telling you, live 
by obeying the prescription that God gives you. Because the older you get, the more you will feel the effects of disobedience. Hallelujah. And that's it. Look at somebody and say, wow, you needed that so, so much. Put on the other song. Praise God. Ladies and gentlemen, we are living in a time of war. Therefore, we must fully arm ourselves with the wisdom of Almighty God. And if you're one of those people that have obeyed God all your life with your diet and your exercise and your genetics still did something, don't feel bad. Just believe God for supernatural abilities and strength because that's all you got left. It's not like you've been disobeying. Every person that's here has been assigned a destiny. Everyone. And that's going to require knowledge. Hallelujah.